On Sunday mornings, we're looking at the promises of God. We're magnifying this book, the Bible. We're not guilty of bibliolatry. We don't worship the Bible. You know what? We worship the God of the Bible. Amen? We're magnifying His Word. The Bible says that the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And I'm telling you, this is a life-changing book. And it's filled with the promises of God. And so the next few Sunday mornings, we're going to just be looking at the promises of God. And we're going to live by those promises. And we're going to stand on those promises. We're going to believe them, live by them, and stand on them. You know... Today we're going to look at the promise, God's promise to lead us and to guide us. That's such an important promise for our everyday life. God's promise to lead us and to guide us. Now the question I would ask you, is God silent? Did God create us and walk away from us? And just forget about us? Is not God involved in our daily life and in every facet of our life? You know the tragedy is? There are multitudes that believe that God just created us, created this world, and walked away. They believe there's no divine intervention, no divine plan, no divine direction. We're just left here to ourselves, victims of chance. Nothing could be further from the truth. God has spoken, and God is speaking. God is involved in our lives. Oh, He is. And whether you like it or not, you are accountable to Him. One of the most sobering passages in all the Bible is in the 14th chapter of Romans. You say, well, pastor, it's just my life. I'm just going to live it the way I want to live it. And when it's over, it'll be over. Oh, no. Oh, no. You've got to understand, God has spoken, and God is speaking, and God is at work in our lives, and we are accountable to him. I'm just reading from Romans chapter 14, verse 7. Now, listen, listen to this. This is the living word of God. None of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. Wow. You mean to tell me I just don't live to myself and die, and it's over? Oh, no, no. God says, you missed it. None of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. Whether we live, we live to the Lord. And whether we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For this reason, Christ died and rose and lives again, that he might be Lord of the dead and the living. Then in verse, chapter 14, verse 12, So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, realizing that God has spoken 
and is speaking, we come to the realization that God wants to uh, lead our lives. He wants to guide our lives. He wants to direct our lives. He does not want us to live for ourselves, but realizing we're living unto him. And so today we're going to look at the promise of God to lead us and to guide us in our daily life. Now I want you to open your Bible to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. We're going to look at that. A great promise. But kind of the guiding promise that we're going by in these days is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Now, I want you to just study these verses over the next few weeks and days. But it's a tremendous uh, promise. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. And, and it talks about the promises of God. Let me read it to you. It says in verse 19, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him Jesus was yes. Now here it is. Now all the promises of God, underline that word promises. Now all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen to the glory of God through us. So God has said a big yes to us. His promises in Christ are yes to us. His promises in Christ are amen to us, which means so be it. Now the promise of God to guide us and lead us in our life. Listen to Psalm 32, verse 8. What a great word. Thank you, God, for this promise. I did not create you and walk away and leave you. This is what he says. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. Wow. You mean, Lord, you just didn't create me and forget about me that you really have a purpose and a plan. Oh, he said, listen, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do you realize what he's saying? I'm not only going to instruct you and teach you, but I'm going to guide you with my eye, which means you've got to have your eye on him. You know, you want to know what a person's, which way a person's going to go. You watch their eyes. Their eyes will tell you the direction or what. And so God says here, I'm going, to inst- I'm going to promise you, I'll instruct you and teach you, and I'll guide you with my eye. But you've got to keep your eye on me. Then he warns us. He said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Now, would you get this? Don't be like a horse or like a mule. You ever heard that statement? Well, you just mule-headed. You ever heard that before? Don't be like a horse or a mule who has no understanding, who must be harnessed with bit and bridle, or else he will not come near for you. He said, God said, now when I instruct you and teach you, don't be stubborn, but you listen, and you you get your eye on me, and you let me lead you and guide you, in the way that you should go. There's another great verse. You don't need to turn to it. But it's Isaiah 30, verse 21. Now listen to this. The promise of God to lead us and to guide us. Isaiah 30, 21. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying. God said, I'm going to speak to you. 
your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Man, what a promise. He said, I'll speak to you. I'll tell you, this is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. But there's another great promise about God's leadership and guidance in our life. Not only Psalm 32 and Isaiah 30, but I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. In John chapter 10, verse 27, listen to the words of Jesus. My sheep hear my voice, and they know me, and they follow me. Jesus said, I want to promise you, my sheep, my, they hear my voice, and they know me. They know it's me, and they follow me. The great promise of God to lead us and to guide us and to direct us in our life. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, Pastor, let me ask you this question. How does God do that? Now, I believe that he will instruct me and teach me in the way that I should go. I, I believe he can, I can hear his voice saying to me, this is the way, walk in it. I, I believe I can hear the voice of Jesus and I can know his will and follow him. But now, how does God do that? How does it work? How does that become true in my daily life? There are many voices in this world. There's the humanistic voice that says man is his own God. There's the hedonistic voice that says pleasure is the ultimate goal of life. I mean, how can I know it's God's voice? How can I know God is leading me and guiding me? You have to go back to the beginning. You have to go back to the original way God intended for it all to operate. Because I'm going to tell you today, the vast, 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 vast majority of people are not led and, and directed by God. Oh, no. They've got false gods following the gods of their own making. But there was a plan. God's original way of leading and directing his people. So let's go back to the beginning. God's original plan. The first thing you'll notice in Genesis chapter 1, and you don't need to turn to these, is that God created the animals. He created them. It says in verse 20 that he created uh, the birds first. Then he created all the creatures in the sea. And then on, bound around verse 24 or so, he says he created the cattle and all the beasts of the land. And it said God created the animals. And it, when he finished that, it says, and it was good. But then in Genesis 1, 26, it says, and God said, let us create man. He's already created the animals now. And God said, let us create man in our own image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air. And so God created them, male and female, he created them. So we see in the beginning, God created the animals and he said it was good. Then he created man and woman in his own image and he said that was very good. Now, what's the difference? How do animals operate in God's created world? How do humans operate in God's created world? You know this. I've said it many times, but I can't say it enough. When God created animals, he gave them a body and a soul, and he gave them, and they were governed by instinct. Now, there's no question that animals have a soul, body. You can see that. Well, what is a soul? It's mind thinking, it's emotions, feeling, 
and a will choosing. Now, let, let me say this. It is obvious that animals have a body, and it's obvious they have a soul. Animals can think. Have you ever noticed that some of your, your dog's smarter than you are sometimes? You ever notice that? Oh, he's a whole lot smarter than you are. My dog knows what day it is. He knows on Sunday we get up early and we start getting dressed. And so he just goes and gets under the bed and I'll see you when you get home from church. He knows exactly what day it is. I promise you. And I will tell you another thing. He has feelings. He's got emotions. I guarantee you, you can just tell him how sweet he is and how good he is. And, but boy, you, you fuss at him. Oh, my soul. He'll tuck his tail and he'll say, well, if that's the way you feel, I'll just leave. A animal has a body and a soul, but he has instinct. He's not, he's governed by his instinct. The, the geese know when it's winter and all the up, uh, everything's covered by snow, they know to fly south. They know to fly in a V formation to break the wind shear off of the rest of the geese. And they fly south. They know exactly where to fly to, exactly where the food is. They know when the snow melts up north and they know to fly back. How do they know that? Because they got instinct given by God. The salmon is born at a particular point in a stream, and when it's after it's hatched, it swims out to sea. But the time for that salmon to hatch its young, it swims back up the same river to the very place where it was hatched. If you build a dam between there, he'll, he'll try to jump over, he'll kill himself trying to get back to where he was hatched to lay his young. You know why? It's called instinct. Have you ever wondered how? The bees could get the pollen and make honey and put it in a honeycomb and it'd be 110 degrees and the honey wouldn't melt and run out on the ground. What in the world keeps the honey from melting? Oh, because the bees have instinct. They are organized. They are in shifts. The bees will stand. There'll be certain of the bees that will be at the front of the hive and they will fan their wings and cool the honey. They get tired. The second shift comes on and the reason it doesn't is called air conditioning. How do they do that? It's all because of instinct. But you know what? God created man, and he gave man a body. He gave man a soul, but he gave man and woman a spirit. And he did not give us instinct. A little baby has no instinct. The only thing he knows to do is cry and eat and go to the restroom. I mean, that's all he knows to do. A baby doesn't, You leave a baby to itself, it's not going to live. Humans have a body, a soul, and a spirit. And what the beautiful thing was when God said, let's make man in our image, we weren't made in the image of God physically, we were made in the image of God spiritually. And the distinctive thing of us is that here was Adam. He had a body, he had a soul, he had a spirit. And instead of being governed by instinct, the spirit of God lived in the spirit of Adam. And Adam and Eve lived in that garden and they were governed by God. They were led by the spirit of God. And every day God would direct their steps and lead their path. You see, God didn't create us to be governed by instinct. God created us to be governed by God. And the beautiful thing is, when God's original plan Adam and Eve, body, soul, and spirit. But God's spirit lived in them, and God's spirit led them and guided them and directing them until Adam and Eve sinned. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they remained physically alive. They had a body. They remained soullessly alive. They had mind, emotions, and a will. But when Adam and Eve sinned, the spirit of God left. And now, they were, in a sense, as far as guidance concerned, 
helpless. Or they had a body, and they had a powerful soul. They could think, they could feel, but no longer were they governed and led by God. Why? Because they sinned. And when they sinned, they died spiritually. And now they were just a body and a soul and were spiritually dead. Now, but God had a plan. He said, I'm going to restore what Adam and Eve lost. I'm going to restore what they lost. So let's go all the way over now. Thousands of years later, Jesus came. Born of the Virgin Mary. Lived a sinless life. Performed miracles as no one ever did. Taught like no one else taught. And one day Nicodemus realized, I know one thing about this Jesus. He's come from God because no man can do what he does unless God is with him. And so Nicodemus, being a religious ruler of the Jews, knowing that he couldn't go to Jesus publicly in the daytime because it would have been a scandal because the Pharisees hated Jesus. By night, Nicodemus went to Jesus. He knocked on the door. Jesus came to the door and he said to Nicodemus that which you can only understand if you knew God's original plan. He said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Well, what do you think Nicodemus thought? There he was a grown man. And here the rabbi, the teacher said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus said what anybody would logically say. I don't understand this, Jesus. How can I be born again? Can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? Jesus said, no, I'm not talking about that. He said, I'm looking at you, Nicodemus. You're physically alive. You're soulishly alive, but you're spiritually dead. What you need, Nicodemus, is to be born spiritually. You need a spiritual birth. Oh, you're physically robust and mentally alert but he said I'm telling you you're spiritually dead and you need to be born again you need to be born of the spirit and he said that which is born of the flesh is flesh physical birth that which is born of the spirit is spirit he said unless you're born of water physical birth and of the spirit you will never see the kingdom of God you see we got salvation messed up we think that salvation is getting man out of earth into heaven no Salvation is getting God out of heaven into us. It's getting the Spirit of God that left when Adam sinned back into our spirit. And the awesome thing about salvation is that when a person is saved, they're not just physically alive and they're not just soulishly alive, but the moment Jesus comes to live in them, they become spiritually alive. And what Adam lost... They get back through the new birth that comes through Jesus Christ. And for us to be born again, for us to be spiritually alive so that we can be led by the Holy Spirit came at a great price. We could never be born again. We could never be spiritually alive by the teachings of Jesus as great as they were, by the miracles of Jesus as real as they were. The only way we could ever be spiritually alive was for God to do something about the sin that separated us from a holy God. That's why Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross and he took your sin and he took my sin. The Bible says he bore our sins in his body on that tree. 
The Bible says he was made sin for us. He who knew no sin. So there, so that we could no longer have to be spiritually dead. Jesus went to the cross and took our sins. He bore our sins in his body on that cross. And God raised him from the dead. And now Jesus is alive. And guess what? Because he's alive, you can be born again. You can be spiritually alive, seeing yourself as a sinner separated from God and realizing that your only hope is in the cross and the shed blood of Jesus. Then you come to Jesus and you receive him as your, in repentance of sin, you receive him as your Lord and Savior. And Jesus comes to live in you by his spirit. And guess what? Everything Adam lost, praise God, you got back. And now you're not just a body and a soul now you're a body and a soul and a spirit. And God's spirit lives in you. And now you can be led and guided by the spirit of God. Now there's a verse. Romans eight fourteen. Now I want you to listen to it. It is a revolutionary verse. Somebody says, well, how can you tell a person's a Christian? Well, you can tell by their fruit. By their fruits you shall know them. In other words, there will be the spiritual fruit. But you know what the Bible says? And I, and I agree with that. But I'm going to tell you a great verse. You know what it says? How you can know that you're a child of God? Romans chapter 8, verse 14. I mean, you, you, you can't miss this. It tells you. Let me tell you who is a child of God. Let me tell you who is a child of God. And here it is. Romans eight fourteen. Listen to it. Look it up later. For as many as are led... By the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. Paul said, you know the distinctive mark of a child of God? Is they, they're back where Adam was in the garden. They're led by God's Spirit. As many as are led. I'm reading the Word of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God. And it says, goes on and says, for we have not received the spirit of adopt, uh, the spirit again of bondage to fear. We've received the spirit of adoption where we cry our father. God's spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Now listen, you say to me, brother Fred, I'm saved. I'm a child of God. Christ lives in me. Okay. Then you can be led by God's spirit. You can. That's your birthright as being born again. And so the way God leads us and guides us is by his Holy Spirit. Now, having said that, here's, here's the way he does it every day. Are you listening now? This is the way God leads us and guides us. All right. So we're spiritually alive. Jesus Christ lives in us. Our body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And now we can be led by God's Spirit. Here it is. God's Spirit, lead, God leads us by His Spirit through His written Word and His spoken Word. Now hear me carefully. God, by the Holy Spirit that is in us, he, here's the promise, He leads us and guides us by His Holy Spirit, by His written Word, and by His spoken Word. And so what it is, the Spirit of God leads us by the written word, and the Spirit of God leads us by the spoken word. Now, let me tell you what it says about this book, how God leads us by his written word. Now, listen to what it says. The, the word of God is alive. It's not just another book. 
you think it is, you've been deceived. The Word of God is alive, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it, it discerns, it separates what's soulish from what's spiritual. Joints and marrow, and listen to what it says about the Word of God. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of your heart. The Word of God will show you what's in your heart. Oh, yes, the Word of God will show you what's in your heart. The Word of God will show you what is purely soulish, and the Word of God will show you what is spiritual. Oh, no, God guides us and leads us by His Spirit through His written Word. I love this. Now, you want to know how God leads you and guides you? By His Spirit, listen to this. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your Word is a lamp to my feet. And a light to my path. <laughs> how plainer can it be? Lord, I, I tell you, I don't, I don't know how to walk or where to walk. He said, but you know something, Lord? Your word, it's, it's a lamp to my feet. And, and you know, Lord, I, I need to know where you lead me. He said, you know, your word is a light to my path. And so God leads us by his Holy Spirit as believers through the written word and through the spoken word. Now, we know what the written word is. I will instruct you and teach you in the way we go. It's a lamp to our feet. We know what the spoken word is. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Isaiah thirty twenty one says, they'll hear a voice behind them saying, they'll hear a word behind them saying, this is my way, walk in it. Tell us to go to the right or the left. He leads us by the written word and the spoken word. We know what the spoken word is. As many as are led by the spirit of God, they're the sons of God. Now, so let's talk about how we know God's voice. By his spirit, he leads us by the written word, and he leads us by his spoken word. Now, how do we know God's voice? My sheep hear my voice. Hey, by the way, did you know he said that his children will not follow, follow the voice of a stranger? I, I love this. In John 10, he was talking about his sheep, and he said, they're going to follow me, but they're not going to follow a voice of a stranger. I want you to listen to this. This really got me this week. In John 10, verse 7, Jesus said to them again, I am the door of the sheep. He says, I am the door of the sheep. Uh, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. We'll go in and out and find pasture. He said, now, I'm the door of the sheep. Now, that was verse 7. Now, listen back to verse 3. He said he's the door. To him, the doorkeeper opens. Now get this. This is you and me as believers. The sheep hear his voice. He calls them. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. Well, what about that? You mean to tell me God's leadership in my life is personal? You mean to tell me God's leadership in my life is? Yes, it says here. To him, the doorkeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And, when, and it says, and when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Listen, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger. They will flee from him, for they know not the voice of a stranger. Jesus said, I call my sheep my name. They recognize my voice. I lead them out and they follow me. But they're not going to follow the voice of a stranger. 
They're going to flee because they know the voice of a stranger. Now, how does God's, what is God's voice like? We've said that God leads us by his spirit through the written word and the spoken word. Now, I want to talk to you about how you know God's voice. I got this from Roy Hessian. One of the greatest truths I've ever gotten from, from the pen of a man. This great man of revival said that God spoke to him and showed him how he could know his voice when he gave him the picture of the Holy Spirit as a dove. Remember Jesus was baptized and the Spirit of God descended like a dove on the shoulder of Jesus and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He said when God showed him the picture of, G- of the Holy Spirit as a dove and then he saw Jesus as the lamb. The dove and the lamb. The Holy Spirit's the dove. Jesus is the lamb of God. And he said, you know, the gentlest of creatures is a dove. At the slightest thing, the dove will fly. At the slightest thing, the dove would flee. The dove is a gentle creature. And the lamb, the meekest of all the animals, a lamb, what you might call defenseless But you know, he said, let me tell you about the voice of God. The Holy Spirit's a dove, and Jesus is the lamb. He said, the voice of God is gentle. The voice of God is loving. The voice of God is compassionate. The voice of God is clear. The voice of God is firm. He said, let me tell you something. The lamb and the dove, they'll speak to you. Jesus, God will speak to you gently. He'll speak to you lovingly. He'll speak to you clearly. There will be no confusion. He will speak to you compassionately, but he will speak to you firmly. But it's a lamb and a dove. But then look at the picture of the devil. It says, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, goes about seeking whom he may harass you, boy, what a difference. The voice of God, a dove and a lamb, gently, compassionately, clearly, without confusion, firmly, distinctly with authority, but lovingly. But boy, the devil, he is a roaring lion. You know how the devil speaks? He will harass you. He will pressure you. He will intimidate you. He will threaten you. He will accuse you. He will condemn you. He'll say, man, you better do that or you better not do that or you better keep this or you better not keep that. And I guarantee you find yourself pushed and shoved and harassed and driven. I'm going to tell you something. That's not the dove. I'm telling you, God speaks clearly, and God speaks firmly, and God speaks authoritatively, but he will not harass you or push you or intimidate you or harangue you or compel you and condemn you. I am telling you, that is not God. So, friend, when I hear the voice of God lovingly, gently, clearly, without confusion, but firmly and authoritatively speak to me, I know it's the voice of God. But man, when I feel pushed and harassed and harangued and condemned and driven, I say, this this is the voice of a stranger. It's the voice of a roaring lion who seeks about, seeking whom he may harass. Now, remember I said, God leads us by his spirit 
through his written word and his spoken word. Now, I want to talk to you about how God speaks to us through his written word. Now, you've got to listen to me. Safeguard number one. Is this the voice of God? Is this God speaking? Is this the leadership of the Holy Spirit? Safeguard number one. God will never lead you to do anything that violates his word. He'll never do that. Never. I've had people say to me before, and I know it was a lie, but God told me to lie. I said, it can't be. Well, why you say that? Because the Bible says, thou shalt not bear false witness. In case you don't know what that means, don't lie. I said, so God didn't tell you to tell that lie. God cannot contradict himself. God didn't tell you to lie. You see, God will never tell you to do anything that violates his word. It's interesting. My wife, Ann, worked very little. When we were in college, she, she worked some. When we were in college, I think she was 18 or 19 at the time. And, you know, I was 20, 21, well, 21, whatever. And, and so, you know, I was in college. And so she got a job at a bakery. We knew the people in the church that we're in, and she got a job at the bakery. And she had a girl that worked with her named Louise. And Louise, you know, um, said to Ann one day, said, now, you know, don't you watch what I'm doing, but, but I, I'm going I'm to take some groceries home with me and not pay for them. She's what she was going to do, was going to steal. So every week she'd just steal. She'd take home all the, you know, different things from the bakery. And, 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 and you know, she said, well, let me tell you why I'm doing this now. It's all right for me to steal because they don't pay me enough. If they paid me enough, I wouldn't have to steal. I said, honey. I don't care what to pay you. Don't you take nothing. I didn't say that. I'm kidding. But see, she, she, she said God told her it was all right to steal. He didn't tell her that. God will never tell you to do anything contrary to his word. Now, I'm not trying to be crude. I, I'm just going to tell you what it was. I never forget a guy said to me one time, and he was not married, and he was having sex outside of marriage, and he was trying to justify it. And he said, well, let me tell you one thing. God would not have given me this great sex drive that I had and tell me that I couldn't satisfy it. I said, he didn't tell you that. He said, you couldn't do it till you got married. But, oh, he was justifying his immorality. Well, God made me this way, and, you know, I can't control myself. Well, why don't you give God a chance? He might could help you. Let me tell you something. God will never tell you to do anything. God's Spirit will never lead you to do anything to violate His Word. Never. Let me tell you the curse on our nation. You want to know the curse on our nation? It comes out of humanism. It's situational ethics. Situational ethics. See, the Bible is a book of moral absolutes. The Ten Commandments are moral absolutes. They never change and will never change change but you see only 60 percent of the people in this nation believe their moral absolutes and it all came from the subtle teaching of humanism that said nothing is wrong in itself the situation determines if it's right and the situation determines if it's wrong hello that is a lie god determines if it's right and god determines if it's wrong it's called moral absolutes. You say, well, I'm just going to break that law. Can I tell you something? You don't break God's word. It breaks you. It breaks you. You just think, well, I, I, listen, I've been breaking God's law and I got away with it. Are you listening? Whatever you sow, you reap. 
Well, I've sowed. You've got to understand, the crop comes up a little bit later than you sowed it. So you sow a crop now and say, see there, I've sowed this and I'm not going to reap it. But two years down the road, all of a sudden, every, all, everything breaks loose. You knew what I was going to say. I didn't have to say it. Two years down, you say, man, it's all falling apart. What in this? How did I ever get here? You sowed it here and you reaped it here. And remember, you always reap more than you sow. And you always sow what you reap. Now listen, what a precious promise that God would lead us and guide us by His Spirit through His Word. There's a, there is the Spirit of God bearing witness to the written Word of God. And God leads us by His Word, written Word. And I'm telling you, it is an awesome guidebook for your life. You obey the Word of God and you are blessed. And you break the Word of God and you are cursed. But now, He leads us. What if the Bible doesn't say do or don't? Here's, here, here's the guideline. Well, should I buy this house? Should I take this job? Should I go to this college? Should I uh, move to this city? So here are decisions that the Bible says, buy the house at 7-Eleven Yonestra. It doesn't say that. So how are you going to know? All right, let me, let me tell you three things. First of all, you, you listen for the voice of God. Now, now if you miss this, you can get the rest I'm going to say. 90% of knowing God's will is being surrendered to it. You say, God, here, here it is, the bottom line. I will do your will. Okay, now if, if that's your attitude, 90% of knowing whether or not you should buy that house, buy that car, move to that city, take that job, whatever it might be, 90% of knowing the will of God is being surrendered to it. So you say, all right, Lord, all I want is your will. Well, then he's going to show you. All he's got to do is 10%. And so there, there, there are three verses I want to give you. You're making that decision. You're surrendered to the will of God. If he says, don't buy that house, but I like it, don't buy it. But I like it, but I, no, don't buy it. Well, why would you want me to have it, Lord? You said no good thing. Would you withhold from those who walk uprightly? Obviously, it's not a good thing. He said, don't do it. Well, you didn't buy it, and the guy that bought it found out it was eaten up with termites. Aren't you glad you listened to God? Didn't buy it? God will lead you, but you've got to be surrendered to his will. First of all, Romans chapter 3, excuse me, Colossians chapter, I'm going to give you three verses. When you, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. Now here it is. God, I, I, I want to do your will in this. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to the Father by him. So if I buy this car, or buy this house, or go to this college, uh, the Spirit of God is leading me. When I make the decision, I'll be able to sign Jesus' name to it. Whatever you do in word or deed, I do it all in the name of Jesus. Lord, I'm doing that, and I'm going to sign Jesus' name to it. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to the Father. Second verse, Colossians 3, 20, uh, Colossians 3, uh, 23. Whatever you do, do it heartily to the Lord. 
and not to men. Whatever you do, you do it to God, not to men. Boy, that's a good guideline. Whatever I do, do in the name of Jesus. Whatever I do, I'm going to do it heartily to the Lord and not to men. And here's the key verse. Now, if you really are surrendered to God's will, okay, that choice that I'm going to make, Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of God rule in your heart. And the word there, rule, in the Greek is umpire. Let the word of God act as an umpire in your heart. God, I'm going to buy that house. And he says, safe, go right ahead. The peace of God. Lord, I'm going to buy that house. And he says, out. You see, let the peace of God. You don't have any peace about it. You go against the peace of God. He said, and let the peace of God rule in your heart. Let it act as an umpire. Let the peace of God say, safe. Or let the peace of God say, out. God will not force you to do his will. He won't. He'll speak to you. He'll appeal to you. But I'm going to tell you, you have a choice. You can say yes in surrender, or you can say no. But remember, there are consequences when you do the will of God. Whoo! What peace and what blessing. When you disobey God, then chaos and confusion. All right, here's the promise. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you will go. I will guide you with my eye. Don't you be like a horse or mule who has no understanding. You do what I lead you. And here's the, the promise of God. You'll hear word behind you saying, this is my way. Walk in it. Turn to the right or to the left. And here's the promise. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. God has promised if you are his child. To lead you and to guide you. He has promised. So what you do, you surrender to his will. You surrender to his will. You keep your eye on him and you listen to his voice. He'll never tell you to do anything that violates his word. Never. Never. And in things where the word of God has not given a specific answer, if you do it in his name and for his glory and in surrender, God will direct you. And the peace of God will act as an umpire in your heart.